0: Hello and welcome to Truer Love Stories, a podcast dedicated to real people wanting to create real love. I'm your host, Taryn Newton Gill. In each episode, we'll explore the stories of people who are at a crossroads in their love life. I'll help our guests navigate their personal love story by providing them with holistic ways of writing a new, more empowered narrative around love, one that's truly aligned. With who they are and what they want. Welcome to this month's episode of Truer Love Stories. If you're joining us again, welcome back. And if you're new here, hello. We're so happy to have you in this community, and it means so much that you're listening. Our guest this month is pretty amazing, in my opinion. She's a fairly young woman who has done a lot of self-work and exploration in her time on this planet, and she now finds herself at a crossroads that I know I can relate to and that I think most modern people who want to live healthy lives can relate to, which is finding a balance between being our fully autonomous, independent selves and also identifying as a member of a partnership where our life becomes ever more synthesized with our partner's life. This isn't an easy space to navigate, as it brings up questions about identity, freedom, social expectations, and a whole host of other questions that sometimes lead us to one extreme or the other, either complete independence or total codependence. But I believe the answer lies somewhere in between these two seemingly opposing ideas, and I think our guest does a really beautiful job of illustrating this for us. So, without further ado, let's hear her story. Hello. Hi. (laughs) Hi. Thank you for being here. I'm so happy to have you on today. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm so interested in your story, and I'm super excited to get into it. So, just to recap for our listeners... You came to me because you have had some dating experiences in the past, maybe a few relationships of about a three months each or so, sometimes with what felt like possibly avoidant partners, and they didn't go the way you necessarily wanted them to go, and maybe you got hurt a little, and so since then, you just decided to really delve in into self-love, which is amazing, You've spent a good amount of time, maybe the last five years, really just like focusing on working on yourself and you've really learned to love your independence, but now you do want to attract a relationship, but you're trying to find a balance between being open and not settling, but also knowing when to work for a relationship. Does that sound about right?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I grew up always thinking something was wrong with me because I never could find a boyfriend like all of my friends did. And I guess I was always friend zoned and I just, it was never a priority for me. And even though it was the one thing that I really wanted because, you know, that's what society tells us to want. It -hmm. never was in the cards. And when it came to, you know, Oh, someone I liked and they liked me back. I ultimately like in middle school and high school, I was like, Oh, that's too much stress. So I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to focus on me And that led through college to more intentionally date myself. So I decided not to focus on being in a relationship and with partners because I saw it as something stressful, something that all of my friends had very toxic relationships, and I didn't think it was worth it. So I sort of dove into this self-love journey. And in the past five, six years, I've really taken the time to get to know myself, deeply love myself, care about myself. And now I sort of have gone towards hyper-independence where I think I can do everything by myself. And I know I can, but I'm in a place in my life where I don't necessarily want to just be me. So it's this weird little dynamic because my soul really craves this. But in my path so far, the dating myself and really falling in love with myself has been the main priority. And I wouldn't trade that for the world. But now I'm in a place where I feel ready to explore partnership and being with others and just truly connecting and opening myself to someone else. Mm -hmm. So It's been a little difficult now navigating that because my self-worth has become so high because I just am so comfortable with myself and I can be alone with myself and I know my worth. So it's hard when a lot of people my age and just potential partners, they haven't met themselves as far as I've met myself so far. Mm -hmm. So it's been a little difficult to navigate, but I feel open and I know there's definitely a lot of stuff that I still need to work on. But it's been a shift in the past couple of years from like wanting to be really independent and not depend on anyone to sort of knowing that the reality for myself is that I do want to share my life with others and I love connections of all forms. So it's how I can create more space for more of that in my life. I love that. So beautifully said.
0: (laughs) And um, can you, if you feel comfortable, tell our listeners how old you are for context?
1: Yeah, I am 23. So, definitely uh, mature for my age. You but, are a baby. <laughs> I know, I know. But I so wise. Thank you. And thank self-aware. you. Yeah, I've definitely always been a quote-unquote old soul, but And that's been amazing and beautiful, and I love it, but also difficult because the way I see reality and my priorities definitely do not align with a lot of other people my age. So it's hard to find people who, one, are connected and aligned, but also who are open to the way I live my life and what I prioritize and what I think. So that's a whole nother dynamic in itself. I'm sure we could talk hours about it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But
0: I do think that there's something to be said about dating in your 20s um, (laughs) is definitely like a whirlwind of a time. And I do think it's actually the perfect time for you to be... Exploring this, you've already done so much work around yourself at this age. I mean, at 23, I was (laughs) nowhere near where you are in terms of self-awareness. So kudos to you for even being at that place. And I have no doubt you are going to attract that partner because you're exploring this now. And so, you know, there's a lot to delve into here, though. Um, Just from what you said initially, I want to touch on a couple of things that you set up really beautifully, which is really this very black and white kind of dichotomy in our culture between romanticizing love and making that the ultimate goal, especially for women, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, through all of the media and messaging and images we get from the time that we're children that I believe men don't receive that same kind of messaging, right? The kinds of things little boys are shown to watch are about heroes. And we've had some developments with like Moana, right? Mm -hmm. And like I love that newer children's movies these days are about the woman's adventure versus just like her being saved by a prince. So that narrative is a little outdated now. Mm -hmm. But I do still think it really rings true in our culture, the way that people are so excited about love and marriage. Um, Even I, when I got engaged last year, I mean, the influx of people wanting to congratulate me. And I'm like, I've done so much in my life and never have I had the kind of attention that I'm getting right now for this. Mm -hmm. And having been a single person most of my life, as much as it felt joyous and I was felt celebrated, there was a little part of me that resented it (laughs) yeah. um, because I was also wanting to be seen for who I was, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I really, I feel like relate to you because I walked this line between that hyper-focus on romanticism, which honestly as a single person led me to go to the other extreme, which you did too, which was forget all this. (laughs) It's too much. I don't want to be like Reduced to who I'm partnered with. Mm -hmm. I want to know who I am. And so I went to the hyper extreme of independence too, told myself maybe I never need a relationship. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, hyper independence is also a little toxic, which I think is what leaves us so confused because, you know, in the 1920s, right, women got the right to vote, Rosie the Riveter, like women, we can do it. We don't need men. And that was so important to us as Mm -hmm. modern women. Because it gave us so much freedom that we wouldn't have had. And we can be self-governing individuals, which used to not be the case, you know. So Mm -hmm. I absolutely don't want to take that for granted. But I do think that, especially in America, we focus so much on individualism. And we really idealize that idea that, like, if, again, going back to our movies, you know, it's always the protagonist who's able to do something by themselves, who's the one to save the day. And maybe there's one or two helpers along the way, but like we really focus on that hero's journey of Mm -hmm. them doing it themselves. When in reality, like no society can you function fully by yourself, right? Like we are not islands. And Mm -hmm. especially during COVID that became very clear where like, suddenly you realize that every single person you hang out with is connected to someone else, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and that's the reality. We live in a culture with lots of people. So this idea of hyper-independence, I think also stunts us in our minds because we want to embrace the idea of the independent woman and the modern woman, you know, Mm -hmm. um, but biologically we're programmed to connect, you know? So where does that leave us? You know, what do we do? And I actually learned recently that children think very much in black and white.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They don't understand context yet. And mm-hmm. so they just are able to compare things. And so they see things in this very stark way. And I think as adults, if we don't dive deeper into the context of those things, then we're left with that as well. So yeah. today, my goal with you is to help us really explore, you know, what it really means as, as you grow into an adult woman is to be able to see those different shades Mm -hmm. and context and details and that it doesn't have to be this extreme of one or the other right like how can we take both of these very important goals of yours and sides Mm -hmm. of you and integrate them into a fully actualized human being who has parts of herself that are independent and wants to be alone and she loves but can also hold space for another individual to Mm -hmm. not be perfect either and make mistakes you know. Yeah. 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 Do you have any thoughts or questions about any of that?
1: Yeah, I really love that. And you put it very clearly and it makes sense in my brain. And it is very much, I don't know, it's interesting because consciously I know that, you know, I can be in a relationship and not lose my independence. I know that like it doesn't, it's not this black or white thing, but I think just subconsciously and probably stuff from my childhood where it's like, okay, I either give up my independence and I settle and I'm in a relationship that I'm not really happy in or I'm completely safe on my own and independent and I'm not with anyone. And, you know, depending on people makes me weak and I could get hurt. And it's just this like back and forth. And then my brain is trying to keep myself protected. And it's very, yeah, like you said, black and white. So Mm -hmm. I like that. And I think I've been trying to explore more of like the shades, but it's still really hard. It's even like, if I like someone, I'm like, okay, well, they like me back, so I'm going to date them, and then it's going to lead to this, even though consciously, I'm like, I'm 23, I do not want to get married anytime soon, like, I'm, that that is not on my radar, but it's like, I, like, fall back into this, like, unconscious programming that I've held since I was a child because of media and, you know, just all these expectations that we have and what we think we should be doing. Mm -hmm. So I like that perspective that you give and I'm excited to dive deeper into it because I think that there's just a lot of stuff under the surface and as much work as I've done It's kind of one of those things like I've been on my map, but now I need to get out into the world and actually do the practices in real life and like explore these things for myself and sort of rewrite my own narrative rather than just thinking all these things. But I have to experience it and experience something new for myself so that I can redefine what it means to be in a relationship, what it means to be single, what it means not to be single, what it means to be in the middle, so, I'm excited to gain more tools and perspective and knowledge and just then go out into the world and do it. I love that. And actually, you bring up a really good point,
0: which is the idea that we are one thing at a time, when the truth is that these identities are not mutually exclusive, they're all a part of us. So, you can be both like nervous for a relationship which I think is where that hyper-independence comes from. Mm -hmm. Like maybe a fear or resistance of vulnerability. So I would like to get a little deeper into that, like kind of your experiences being vulnerable. So that part, but then also this person who longs for a relationship, you know? And and like, how can you be both at the same time? And it's because you're not the image on the media screen, like on the TV screen, you know, you're not a two-dimensional character. You're three-dimensional And you have all these different people and I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of archetypes Mm -hmm. inside of you, you know, like these cultural ideas of who we are. I would say being an independent woman is definitely a modern cultural archetype, you know, and being a partnered woman is an archetype. One of the most known archetype journeys is the maiden mother crone. Have you heard Mm -hmm. of that one? Right. So the maiden is kind of I like to think of the maiden as the princess in the Disney movie. Right. When she first starts out, she's the maiden. She's naive. She's excited. She wants to find her true love. And so she'll kind of jump into things that maybe she's not ready for. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And the mother is when she's actually generally met a partner, has become a mother. There's a little more maturity. And Crone is a really terrible way, I think, of saying (laughs) wise, older woman, Yeah. um, mature woman who's seen the world, you know, so there's that natural journey there. Um, mm-hmm. and so yes, we have stages of life, but also these identities exist within us at the same time. So really embracing that. And then in terms of what we were saying around vulnerability, I'm curious, you can take us back a little bit into some relationships of yours. I know you said you had some that were about three months long, I'm curious Mm -hmm. if in any of those relationships you're referring to, if A, you either really felt in love with someone, and or B, if you had the opportunity to be truly vulnerable with any of them. And by that, of course, I mean, well, I don't want to say of course, because it's not a given, I suppose. But if you had the opportunity to really, like, bear your soul, in a moment where you were off script, it wasn't planned, and you just threw it all out there for someone and they were able to receive it and hold you in that space?
1: Mm, Good questions. Um, Right off the bat, no, I was not in love with any of them. Definitely infatuated, yes. Two, in love with the idea, yes. In love with the potential, yes and I do have love for them as people and like what they represented in my life. But I definitely like looking back, I don't think I was in love. And I never thought that I was. Um, I thought there was the potential and I thought it could like, get to that point. But obviously it didn't. And as far as vulnerability, so the most recent relationships. They happened within like the past year, six months to a year. And before that, I didn't really date that much. Um, before these past two, I was not good at communicating and I would never, I would only say and do things that I thought would make them like me. So I tried to be this like little perfect person that, you know, wasn't too needy or clingy and, you know, gave them space and was cool and nonchalant and all this stuff. So I definitely was never really vulnerable then. I since then in the past two relationships, I've worked towards being more vulnerable. I don't know if I've ever had a moment where I have like fully opened and like given my soul to someone and really just like thrown it out there. I've definitely tried and I've tried to be vocal about my needs and what I'm feeling. But it was usually planned and rehearsed. And I always had a certain sense of distance in it. So I never fully gave myself. Um, And in these moments, I was listened to and I don't necessarily think I was heard. And I wasn't always received well. So I was sort of left feeling like, oh, no, like, was that too much? Like, uh, uh," like, again, I was with avoidant partners. So they weren't as emotionally available or mature for like to actually receive those things so I think in every moment recently when I have tried to be more vulnerable and work towards that more open communication it's with this fear and hesitation of like I don't want to be too much and I don't like I already like I think intuitively know that they're not there and they're not going to receive it yeah there hasn't been a moment where I have been like Felt fully safe and held and received in my vulnerability. Okay,
0: that all adds up to me. So, the way that I'm gonna frame this, you know, I do specialize in attachment theory, so I always Mm -hmm. have to bring it up on my podcast at some point. And you took my quiz and you were secure. Which I totally see because based on what you had told me previously about your relationship with your parents, it Mm -hmm. sounds like you had a pretty secure upbringing in that regard. But you also mentioned that you had older half-siblings who, can you tell me a little bit about that relationship just for our
1: listeners again? Yeah, so my half-siblings are 14 and 18 years older than me, so I never actually grew up with them. Um, We never, except when I was a baby, we didn't live together. And there was always distance between that. I always had this idealized version of what a sibling relationship is supposed to look like, you know, sleepovers and telling secrets and playing and hanging out. But I've never gotten that. When I was younger, I went years without seeing them in person. And even now, the relationship has matured and grown a little bit because I'm older and, you know, I guess... I can relate to them a little bit more, but there's always been this distance and they're closer in age and they definitely grew up closer. So it's like, I'm the third wheel almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never had a relationship with them where I could be like, oh, I'm seeing this person and I really like them. and sort of that like gossipy, um, like just like juicy, like best friend talk, I guess. Closeness. Yes. Closeness. Yeah. And like intimacy. I've never really had that kind of like vulnerability with them. Like maybe with my parents, like talking about my parents a little bit, but it's never, I've never felt that close to them. The reason I bring that up is because You know, attachment,
0: which is basically the scientific study of how people bond in intimate relationships. We tend to have a dominant style, so kind of what our natural tendency is in relationships, which, you know, I can tell based on your relationship with your parents, how you express yourself, that that probably is secure like you got in the quiz. But secure and anxious are actually really connected in Mm -hmm. that both anxious and secure people long for closeness we we all want closeness because we're biologically programmed for that, but anxious people and secure people tend to have like a higher comfort level and a higher threshold for intimacy than an avoidant person. Mm. And so what happens though, is that even though you have a dominant style of security, our attachment style is malleable and can shift depending on our experiences and our relationships. Mm-hmm. So Across most of your relationships, and I know you've talked about having really good friendships, you probably are secure. But I think my speculation is that by needing and wanting the approval so much of these older siblings who essentially were absent from your life because they were around from the time you were born, right? Or you Mm -hmm. knew of their existence as a child, right? Mm -hmm. You longed for their attention and their validation and their closeness, and it wasn't given. I think that there was an avoidant factor there that created a little anxiety in you. And so I think it maybe is coming up a bit with your relationships and with Mm -hmm. dating. And so I think that anxiousness has made you play the role maybe a little bit of the anxious person in romantic relationships because it seems to you that you're attracting avoidant partners, right? Yeah, Yeah. And, and all of that adds up to me in terms of like those fears of coming off as too much, seeming too needy or clingy. Those are all very anxious thoughts. Yeah. Because there's a fear that that you won't be liked. And the kind Mm -hmm. of core wound that anxious people deal with is this fear of being rejected or abandoned. And that adds up to feeling unworthy because you feel unworthy of attention. So all of that feeling of Self worth that comes up for you, I think that's where it's coming from, yeah. and yeah. and I think that the hyper independence, which actually looks a little like avoidance on the surface, mm-hmm. I actually think is something called protest behavior, which mm-hmm. sounds really funky um, and not what it is. Personally, I think, um, mm-hmm. but protest behavior basically is when we sense a threat to a relationship, and we do yeah. everything in our power to protect ourselves and keep that connection Mm -hmm. and that can take a few different forms one of which is avoiding like that person or that you know so that we seem like we don't care but it's really because we're mad at them and we're trying to like hope that our ignoring them makes them want us more so Mm -hmm. I don't know did you ever experience that with your siblings in any way
1: um yeah I definitely think that was it. Like, I think when I was younger, especially like I wanted them to know to like come and comfort me. But I think also it's become this form of just protecting myself. Yes. So it's like, growing up, it was specifically with my siblings, it was time after time, again, just continuing to be disappointed and like getting my hopes up. And even now, like, I get excited and I'm like, oh, maybe we'll be close again. Maybe this is like the moment. And then I'm yet again disappointed. So over time, that hyper independence and not wanting to depend on them was just keeping myself safe because I was like, okay, I can depend on myself. I can't depend on them. So I'm not even going to get my hopes up. So I'm going to distance myself. And I think that exact same dynamic comes out in relationships because I'm like, I don't know where they're at. They're definitely... It's an avoidant partner. So I'm going to like stay a little distant or like I either go like two opposite ends of the spectrum. I either get really distant or I'm like, oh, I hope that they like me. But then as soon as they like, I don't know, say they're sorry and come back, I'm like, no, you're not good enough. Like you're not worthy. So it goes back and forth, but it definitely does stem from that. Like, uh, just like coping mechanism, defense mechanism Mm -hmm, from mm -hmm. my siblings.
0: Yes. I definitely think that's what's going on. And I think what happens is going back to this like idealization of hyper independence is that you feel the need to protect yourself from disappointment, which you have said multiple times about your dating relationships Mm -hmm. and in the context of your siblings. So there's definitely like a defense there and a fear there you know, and so you kind of are preemptively shielding yourself from that disappointment. But um, what happens is that because in, I think, hyperindependence is looked upon as the strength in our culture, it reinforces your idea that that's the direction I, I'm going to go. Yeah. You know, does that resonate yeah. with you? Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, but then it does create this like chasm between this other part of you that actually really longs for the closeness. But Mm -hmm. I, I think you said, whether on this call or the one before that you start associating wanting someone as weakness, you know? oh yeah, And I think that's very common. And I was just actually on a podcast yesterday and we were talking about this concept and someone brought up that the person who created the word codependence, is actually regretting it because the word has been so taken out of context because people think of it as the opposite of independence. And mm-hmm. codependence has this really weak negative connotation. You know, it sounds like enmeshed and mm-hmm. unhealthy. And I think there's truth to the fact that when we become too dependent on another person so much so that we have lost sight of ourselves and our own needs and we question everything we need as an individual, I do think that there is a level of you know, toxicity there, or, Mm -hmm. you know, it being unhealthy. But there's this wonderful word called interdependence, which is a nice balance of basically two individuals coming together to create something that is generative and supportive of both people, you know. And the visual I love for this is a Venn diagram. Are you familiar with, you know, the two circles intersecting? And then there's Mm -hmm. that little piece in the middle, right? And mm-hmm. so we are one of the circles, the other person is the other circle, and then our relationship that we co-create in an interdependent way is that middle part, right? Because mm-hmm. it's really unrealistic to think that we can't depend on a partner. In fact, the whole like way attachment theory was developed was that historically, some people had what's called an attachment system, which I talk about a lot, which is basically just all of our hormones that make us want to attach to someone. So Mm. oxytocin and vasopressin, things that make us want to be close to others. Back in the day, early humans, some people didn't have this attachment system. And so they didn't feel inclined to be close to the group. And so they actually died off more easily. And so we Mm. evolved to have an attachment system because Mm. it's actually a survival mechanism. And what that means is not just like in terms of procreation, like, yes, animals want to have sex and procreate, Mm. but in addition to that, it's like an actual need for emotional closeness. And what that is, is that we actually are predispositioned to have a partner in the sense that we have a higher chance of surviving if someone else is as invested in our survival as we are. And so it takes someone else. Like, that's why mm-hmm. we have partners to make it easier and to depend on each other, yeah. you know. So there's nothing wrong with depending on someone. But it's when you don't know your own self that it becomes problematic. So going back to this idea that you mentioned about self-worth, like you noticed probably in those intimate relationships, I imagine that you weren't feeling like your highest worth, right? And so you wanted to work on that because those relationships can bring out that feeling of low self-worth. And so Mm -hmm. this is a point I bring up a lot with clients, especially people like yourself who are really self-aware and interested in personal growth You know, there's this kind of, I think, false narrative in the dating world that, like, and I think it is, again, going back to being perpetuated by media and all these romanticized Mm -hmm. stories that, like, we find true love, right? We're looking for the one. It's, like, this outward focus on people who, when we meet them, they're a perfect package, right? Like, we meet them, the sparks fly. (laughs) We're two totally amazingly actualized people and we're going to live happily ever after you know and the truth is I really don't like the language of finding someone Mm. because I feel like that sets up this idea of that false narrative that like this perfect person's gonna arrive and it's that's yeah. it, you know? When mm-hmm. that's like actually just the beginning, like, and stories usually end at that moment, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, but that's actually the beginning. I'm like, well, what happened to like Ariel and Eric after the wedding? Uh, 80s baby in the house. But yeah, but like, that's actually where all the true romance, like, that's why I call my company Truer Love because I think that all the true romance, all the real magic, comes after that moment when you actually start getting to know the person and that vulnerability emerges and you see how they're able to hold you, you know, and Mm -hmm. closeness breeds more closeness. And when we're able to get to those moments of vulnerability, or maybe when we get to those moments where we're like, wait a minute, is this person perfect? Like, are they checking all my boxes when they start doing little things that as one of my clients says, like perks your antennas, like, huh, I don't know how I feel about this. Like, I think it's very quickly when we're in that defensive mode to see those little things and be very quick to want to protect ourselves and write them off, you know, yep. yeah. and that's the black and white mind again, mm-hmm. you know, like they did this, it's wrong. They must not be my perfect person because I'm doubting this quality in them. Right. Mm-hmm. When really what that moment might be is an opportunity to get to know them more and to let them get to know you more by being honest And so that gray area, like taking the paradigm of your thought process from black and white to gray, Mm -hmm. to me, that like tool that's going to help you do that is communication. Yeah. Which, if you're functioning from an anxiously attached place, is hard to do because of that anticipation that the person's going to reject you or not like you or just leave, right? Or they're not going to receive what you have to say. And Mm -hmm. so this is a really kind of challenging, I guess, is the word I want to use spot because it elicits a lot of vulnerability that especially if you haven't had the opportunity to experience in your life feels really scary and uncomfortable. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's like how to navigate that. And so what I tell people is it's really, you know, anxiety itself is fear based. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's a very big feeling for anyone who's ever had anxiety. It's kind of this very overwhelming feeling where you can get lost in your anxiety. And like, we start thinking very big picture when we're anxious, Mm -hmm. you know, like, what does it say about my life? Who am I? Like, what, you know, we start having all these really big, like existential questions, I feel like when we're lost in our anxiety. Mm -hmm. But the thing that actually helps it is breaking it down into really small baby step type Moments and realizing, like, okay, wait a minute, this one thing this person did does not sum them up as a person, and it's not going to be the defining factor probably of the entirety of my life or our relationship. It's just something that's bugging me. And in this moment, is there a way to just focus on this one aspect and communicate to them in some way that I'm not comfortable with it? Mm -hmm. You know, and to me, relationships are made up of tiny little moments just like that.
1: Yeah. And
0: so if you can start thinking about relationships in terms of these little moments, you know, these little gray shades between the black and white, right? And that's from the moment you start talking to them, from the moment, let's say, you're on a dating app that you swipe on them, from the moment you see them in person and think they're cute, like each thing counts as a moment. And yeah. and so that's really, I think, liberating in my mind, because if you mess up that moment, there are more, right. Or quote unquote, mess up, whatever that means, you know, (laughs) but that like, you know, there's always another opportunity, you know, do you have any like thoughts or feelings about any of that?
1: Yeah, I really like that. And it definitely is helpful for me to break it down because I can get so big picture. And I think my entire life, I'm just like waiting for that one big moment but then it's, like, what happens after right. that? Like, right. it's just, okay, so yeah, then you have a whole entire life to live. Yeah. So I like this idea of sort of, like, taking it day by day, step by step, and mm-hmm. seeing how it's, like, the sum of all of these little things mm-hmm. and you know, if you notice a behavior pattern, like all the time, that's when it becomes a problem. But It's just, you know, if someone has a bad day, when you're just you've been talking to them for two weeks, they're probably not going to want to talk to you. And that's not a big deal. Like it's okay. But if that happens all the time, then okay, yeah, my little receptors go up. And I'm like, "Eh, that's not something that I want. So I like, I feel like that gives people more grace and it also gives me as a person more permission and mm-hmm. it's less scary if you think of it small,
0: like exactly. in small
1: pieces than if you just look like you're just looking towards the finish line at this one thing and you're like, I have to get there and it's failing if I don't get there. But exactly. no, each, we're just living our lives and... Maybe these small moments, maybe there's only a few with one connection, but that gets you closer to this other person who then you have more and then it just like is a snowball effect and it gets better and better because you learn more and you get more perspective over time. And I know for me is I get more comfortable over time because of course this stuff is scary because I haven't experienced that much of it. And of course, it's easier for me to stay hyper independent and single because that's what I've been focusing on for the past five, six years. So that's what I know. That's what's comfortable. That's my little comfort zone. And I can't stay here forever because ultimately we have to run towards the fear and we have to run towards those things that are a little scary, but it's going to get easier with time. So I like, it's really helpful for me to like break it down and make it a little bit smaller. I think even with goals in my life, I need like one small thing every single day Mm -hmm. instead of just thinking, oh, I need to write a book. Like, I'm never going to write a book if I don't have that. Right.
0: And like, if you think about it, I love that analogy because we're taught when it comes to objective tasks like that, right? Like goal setting to do something. It's common knowledge, like that, you know, smart goals, the way to achieve a goal is to break it up into little tasks, right? But we don't put that in the same perspective when it comes to our emotions because our Mm -hmm. emotions seem so confusing and muddy that it's hard to strategize, you know, but it's the same thing. So what this looks like in the context of dating would be like, okay, I'm going on a date with this person to see if I want to see them again for the next time, not because I'm determining if they're going to be my lifelong partner, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, do you see like the level of magnitude between this is my life partner and the anxiety that could inspire versus I'm just determining if I enjoy this person's company tonight and do I feel like seeing them next time, you know? Mm -hmm. And then even you can break it down even more into more like micro focuses. Like, you know, we sit there and we maybe evaluate the way they look and how they dress and all these things. But like, what are the things like that we really that are standing out to us that we like you know, about them. Okay. What are the things we don't like? We're going to take them both with a grain of salt because you very expertly said that the true mark of knowing someone is seeing their patterns emerge. And that can only happen over time, you know, Mm -hmm. um, because our attachment styles and who we are, we are a collection of our habits, you know, and just because you see someone's habit then and don't like it doesn't mean you're going to write them off immediately, but it means you to communicate with them. You know, so back to your original question of like, how do I be open and balance? Like, or you said, how do I balance being open and not settling with knowing when to work on it? And that's exactly it. Like, you already know, actually, is just (laughs) you see their patterns emerge. And if it's emerging in a way that you're not happy with, well, that's when you use that tool of communication. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a whole experience in itself of figuring out how to bring it up. And then you determine what you think about them based on or how you feel like your comfort level in the relationship based on how they respond to what you bring up, you know? Um, And that's how, and then you see like, are we starting to going back to this idea of co-creating a relationship together in this like synergistic interdependent way where Mm -hmm. I express myself they hear and receive it, express themselves. And there might be, like, some tension and resistance, especially at first as you get to know people, like, there'll be some bumps. But, like, if you feel disrespected, like, if your intuition is really, like, saying, like, this is not good, I think you'll know. But we have to give people, like you said, the grace Mm -hmm. to reveal who they are and to allow you the space to... Be vulnerable because that is truly how you determine if someone's right for you. If you can be vulnerable with them and they actually make you feel better. And to me, Mm -hmm. that's like the most important thing in a relationship, Mm -hmm. you know, that factor.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And I think another thing that this brought up in me is I get very future oriented when it comes to relationships Mm -hmm. and I get like very stuck on the potential and where it could go. So I think this tool and practice of like breaking it down. It helps you stay in the present and see what's Mm -hmm. in front of you rather than your projection or your image or of like who you think that they could be. And that's like one of the biggest things that I always tell my friends, I'm like, okay, don't fall in love with the like image that you create of someone. But really, I just need to tell that to myself because I do it all the time. And I think taking it day by day brings it down and makes it you don't focus on that future image as much because you're just there in the present moment. It's so true. And again, so wise at your 23
0: <laughs> years, because I, I say this a lot and I feel like a broken record, but real intimacy happens in the present moment. Mm-hmm. And the, basically the two styles of avoidant and anxious, the commonality between them is that they both struggle to be intimate in the present moment mm-hmm. in different ways. So yeah. like avoidant people, because intimacy is painful for them. They never really learned how to be close. And they, so they like really truly avoid it and that they don't like to bring up their emotions. Maybe they don't like to feel emotional with themselves. What they tend to do is idealize past partners or mm-hmm. future partners who they romanticize in their head. Yeah. And the reason for that is those things both keep them out of the present moment. It keeps them out of feeling vulnerable with the person in front of them. So they mm-hmm. often end up comparing their current partners to past and future lovers. And that's also why they tend to get really excited in the beginning of relationships when they think they found their ideal person. Mm-hmm. And sometimes are the ones who are the quickest to ghost because they realize they actually can't match the level of intimacy they've set forth in the relationship. Yeah. But it all has to do with the fact that they can't. They, I don't want to say they can't because that everyone can evolve and grow. Um, but they struggle to feel intimate in the present moment. And alternatively, the anxious person has a tendency to be preoccupied with the end of a relationship Mm. because it validates them. That little core wound of feeling unworthy looks to be validated by other people. And so knowing that they're in a relationship that's solid, that someone wants them, that someone's going to be with them for life is very validating for that anxious person. But that also, it makes it very future focused, like you were saying, and not in the present moment. So... Yes. Focusing on the present and also knowing, you know, kind of going back to this idea of the Venn diagram, we have this idea in the wellness space that only by being fully actualized will we attract our perfect partner. And that's kind of going back to this idea that like, the person we find will be this whole package or that we're expected to be this whole package, you know, Mm. this like independent fully formed person before we meet someone else. And I think that is such an unhelpful myth because I like to think of it the way Oprah talks about luck being when preparedness meets opportunity. Yeah, And there is truth to that in the sense that the more work we do on ourselves, the more able we will be when we meet the right person to recognize them and know what we want and need from them, and to be able to express our needs because we're aware of our own needs, right? So self work is absolutely vital and and like totally helpful to entering a relationship. But the truth mm-hmm. is is that we can only control going back to the image of the Venn diagram. We can only control our little bubble on that side of the circle, right? We can't yeah. control our partner circle, and we can't fully control what's going on in the middle. The middle is the mm-hmm. co creation space where we come together, right? And so people have this idea that like when they get in a relationship, they say to me a lot, you know, I thought I was further along than this. I thought I was more confident than this. I'd done all this work on myself and then I meet Mm -hmm. this person and suddenly I feel low again and unworthy and all these things. And the truth is that's because... You've done your preparing, you've done your work, absolutely, and that means something. But all of that work is to then give you the tools to weed through other stuff that comes up in this relationship that is inevitably going to trigger you. Even mm-hmm. if you're with a secure partner, no relationship is smooth sailing. There's always going to be some level of work to do. And in that regard, like, you know, there's a chemical reaction that's happening where in that, you know, inner part of the Venn diagram, we're influencing each other, we're triggering each other. And so that is what we're responding to. And so it doesn't mean something's wrong, or you're not healthy, or you're not ready for a relationship, just because there are things that are going to challenge you. That is natural. And again, that's what creates more closeness. Mm -hmm. We are looking for partners who then help us, like we said, interdependently grow, where they support us in becoming the better version of who we are, and we support them in the same way. Does that all make sense
1: in that? Yeah. yeah, and that's really validating and just reiterates the idea that, you know, just because I'm in a relationship or I'm not quote unquote single doesn't mean I can't still do the work. And mm-hmm. if anything, I think a partner or just any kind of like close, intimate connection with someone that can help you go deeper, because you have the support to like, look more inside of yourself. And there's so many things that come with connections that I don't think about when you know, it's just me here, and I'm single, and I'm just doing my thing, right? I don't have I don't get triggered from that stuff, because I don't, it's not there. So I think it's, that's an important note to just remember that there's always work to do. Always like The work is never done in life. That's just being human. And I do love that. Like, I like doing the work. But yeah, it's good to remember, like, it doesn't just go away. And also, like, everything is leading to the next thing. Mm -hmm. And you're just constantly, like, getting more information and more perspective and greater knowledge to become the most evolved version of yourself. And that can come through jobs or it can come through relationships or it can come through being single, all of these things help us just in different ways. So it's validating to hear and just for me to remember in my little brain to be like, okay, I don't just have to be this one thing, but I can be multifaceted. Absolutely.
0: And I even asked, you know, with Independence Day this past week, you know, one of my questions on Instagram was like, how do you stay an independent woman in a relationship while also having a partner and people had so many different answers. And, you know, some of them were communication and setting boundaries, making sure I have time for myself in within that relationship, Mm -hmm. making sure that I give myself the care and attention that I also give my partner, you know, that it doesn't just become all consuming all about them or vice versa. You know, Mm -hmm. that there's this balance between what I need and what they need. And we're always trading off between those two things. And sometimes what I need is to go be with my friends or be alone. And that's okay, you know, and being aware of that, especially when you end up living with someone, you know, when they need their decompression time. And so, yeah, it's this supportive environment. And even in like attachment theory, they do talk about this idea that I love, which is, you know, we find our own sense of self-worth and confidence. But if you think about it, just because attachment theory, you know, initially was the study of parent-child relationships. And then later Mm -hmm. on, people learned that they actually extend our adult relationships, similar dynamics. And so if you think about just a parent and a child, you know, initially that child is super dependent on the parent, right? But eventually, I know as a toddler, they start finding that independence. But if you notice, toddlers are more able to find that independence when they know they have the secure base of the parent to go back to, right? They feel like they can explore further. I mean, studies have been done about this because they have that assurance. And so it works the same way with us that like, actually, when we know we have a partner, it gives us a certain level of confidence that, okay, I don't have to worry right now because I have someone who's looking out for me and I can go do my thing and flourish even more. You know, Mm -hmm. again, they're not giving us our sense of self-worth. We're trying to establish that within ourselves, that true confidence, but it's almost like our wings get bigger when we're supported in the right way, you know, to go be independent, you know? So it's really interesting and um, definitely takes Just all the things you're doing, you know, being honest with yourself and what you need and what you want. And I think just like practicing to vocalize that, you know, and I would actually suggest that I don't know if you like singing at all. I
1: like it. I'm not necessarily good at it, but I like it. You don't have to be good at it because you're going to do this by yourself.
0: I love singing. I know I like to think I sound like Mariah Carey. Like in my (laughs) head, I sound like Mariah Carey. Um, I don't think other people think that. But in moments when I'm by myself, I will turn that on and I will belt like, I like did it just the other day. Like I started my morning (laughs) having a concert by myself and it was so freeing and amazing. Um, You could even just do it in your car or in your room. Like when you don't think other people are around, and like, let yourself sing and enjoy, mm-hmm. you know, obviously you're very well-spoken, you know, mm-hmm. and you can speak, you know, you do speak well, so, but I think that it's a really good, like, you know, voice chakra exercise for sure to get in the habit of really speaking up or maybe just noticing in life, like even when it's not a romantic relationship, if there's anything that happens that you feel like the need to say something, challenge yourself to say it. You know, Mm -hmm. I actually have a mini course on conscious communication that uses attachment theory and mindfulness to teach you how to speak up more easily. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you wanted more tools for how to do that more specifically, but yeah, those moments, I think people are quick to sweep under the rug. I would encourage you if you have a moment like that to listen to it and, and like get in that habit of breaking it down into those moments of speaking Mm up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And that's definitely aligned and what I've been trying to do more of this year. So it's uh, just another little reminder to keep me on that path. And I'm definitely, because I have been so independent, I'm just like, I'll just do it myself. Like, it's fine. Like, it doesn't matter. I won't let it affect me. But it's, yeah, bringing that stuff up and just being honest with this is how it's making me feel. And just little things like with my best friends or with my parents, Mm -hmm. because I'm living with them right now things like that. And I do notice every single time that I do it and speak my truth, I feel so much better. It's kind of like a weight has been lifted. So totally, thank you for that reminder. I always appreciate it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's so liberating to speak your truth. And I think that's going to be like really the key for you moving forward is these breaking things up and communicating and just kind of accepting like what you're feeling without kind of having to rationalize it, if that makes sense. Or like put it in a category of like, this means I'm needy or this means I'm independent or whatever the case may Mm -hmm. be. And just like letting that feeling and that truth exist in and of itself and not attaching meaning to it.
1: Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love that. Just honoring what's coming up and accepting it and embracing it rather than trying to change it or push it away or, you know, tell yourself, oh, that's not what you should be feeling right now. So don't feel that just ignore it and pretend like everything's okay. But obviously, if it's coming up, there's something in there. I have a friend who always says it's not about the intention of like, say, if you feel weird about something that a friend said, it's not about that friend's intention of what they said. But the fact that you're feeling weird about it, there's something there and you need to honor that. So it could be like an underlying problem. So it's been interesting, like just exploring that for myself and noticing those times when I'm like. Eh, like, I don't feel too great about this, but I can't really explain it. Or like, I don't know why I'm feeling this way. But just naming it and putting it out there, instead of Mm -hmm. like keeping it in, because when you keep it in, then it just builds on top of one another, and like, it'll just explode. And then it's like this big thing, but it's a lot easier to manage these small little instances. And then it's kind of like building your failure tolerance.
0: You just, oh, I love that it. building your failure tolerance. Yeah, I'm gonna write you, that
1: down. <laughs> uh, the courtesy of Michelle Palazan from Holisticism. Oh, she of talks course a lot she... about that, of course. Um, she's a
0: genius, so that makes absolute sense. Yes.
1: Yeah, love her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but just build, building your failure tolerance and keep trying. And I feel like the better, the more you do something, the better you get at it. So the more you communicate what's going on inside, the easier it gets, the clearer it gets, the less like icky and clunky it feels. Yes. And
0: that is key to a healthy relationship because it's all about communicating your needs. And Mm -hmm. so when you can be really honest with yourself about what your needs are and get clear on them and accept them, You know, that's a big part of it. And that's the whole attaching meaning or like, you know, Mm because feelings themselves are an intuition itself is neutral. It's the meaning we place on it that really gives us the reaction. So Mm -hmm. if we can learn to just explore this raw feeling or piece of intuition without that, which is Mm -hmm. a practice unto itself, then when we express it, even if we don't know what it is, when we have the right partner, they will help us through that process, you know, and that's, yeah. it's a fear bringing things to people, but that's also the test of if they're the right partner for you, if they can work through that with you, you know? Yeah. Do you have any last questions or thoughts
1: um, mm. moving forward about anything we talked about? No, I don't think so. This was really great and really helpful and kind of just reiterated a lot of things that I've been thinking and exploring and sort of navigating. So it's always nice to hear someone else's perspective and just to hear different tips and, you know, the science behind it all. It's really fascinating. And it kind of gives me that validation that it's like, okay, like I'm doing the, the right stuff. Like I'm on the right path. It's just, I haven't necessarily met partners who can meet my needs and, you know, hold that space for me. So it makes me, it's like. Reignited this excitement that you know there are partners out there like that, like many, like there's not just one person. So, thank you for that. I really appreciate it. And it's always nice to just have that validation and reassurance that you know we're all at different points on the journey and no one place is better than the other. But Mm. you know, where I am, like I'm constantly moving forward and if I just keep on this path, like I'll attract the person, the people who are meant for me. And it'll again, just keep helping me grow and learn and evolve and expand And each lesson in each person and experience leads to the other. So that's really beautiful. And I feel excited and ready and I appreciate that. I'm so glad. You're
0: so welcome. It's been really lovely to coach you. And I have to say again, like at 23 years old, girl, you are doing okay, you know, (laughs) that you are this open to exploring yourself, you know, um, and knowing what you need. I have zero doubts. You're going to attract the partner that you long for and deserve. So keep trusting yourself with that
1: okay thank you and everything yeah, you're doing will. it's been yeah. awesome to speak with you today yeah you too this has been amazing
0: thank you for listening to the truer love stories podcast if you'd like to share your personal love story and have me coach you on air please email me at hello at truerlove.com. and if you enjoyed listening to today's episode your support would mean so much to me Please make sure to subscribe on Spotify as well as follow me on Instagram at underscore truerlove underscore. You can also join my mailing list and book a free love guidance consultation with me at truerlove.com. In the meantime, stay true to yourself and talk to you soon.